Blog Talk Radio. Across the Arts, I'm your host, Patrick D. McCoy. You heard that beautiful voice, and that is none other than countertenor John Holiday. John Holiday is the 2017 recipient of the Mary Anderson Award presented by the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Welcome, John. How are you? Hello, I think we have a little technical difficulty here. Hello. John, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we had a little a little uh technical difficulty, but we're going to keep on going. How are you this evening? Okay. I'm doing pretty good. It's good to, to be here with you. I'm sorry about that little bit. <laughs> That's okay. Those things happen. That's why you kind of have to prepare for these these little live things. So tell me, how did your um, interest in music initially start? Well, in my family, I've been really lucky. I grew up in a family with musicians. Chiefly, my, my grandmother was the music minister at my church, which was a Calvary Way Missionary Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, off of Hirsch Road. And she played the piano, and she was a phenomenal singer. And for many, many years, she was the musician, uh, the minister of music there and a the musician until I, I kind of made her retire uh, uh, with a lot of fight. She fought me on that. But um, being really young, I used to always watch her and watch our first lady of the church, her name is uh, Sister Margaret Lewis, watch them sing and, and choir, and just, as Bill T. Jones would say, those are the moments where the gods would enter the room. And so I wanted to some, someday be able to do that, and um, I think I just fell in love with music at a very early age. And according to my grandmother, I've been singing, and my mother, I've been singing since I was two years old. So it's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Uh, and it's something that brings me such, such joy. So, yeah, I've been singing for a really long time. So when did you have that turn where it, it leaned from the early music, like Handel and, and all those composers? I didn't um I didn't specifically know about early music until I went to college but when I was a young child I was introduced to the Fort Bend Boys Choir of Texas probably in the second or third grade maybe and uh it was in that year of school that my choral teacher her name was uh, Dorothy Arnold she told my mother and my grandmother there's a boys choir that I really 
Big John would be great for, you know, and they would love to hear him. And so we didn't know it, but I had to do an audition. So every morning before school would start, my grandmother would drop me off at Travis Elementary School, and Mrs. Arnold would help me to prepare the audition for the Fort Bend Boys Choir. Now, the song that I sang for the audition was My Country, Tis of Thee. And I didn't know it at that point. I mean, I'd heard it, but I didn't know it by memory, and, you know, I couldn't have been musical with it. So she kind of coached me and taught me that song, and I got prepared, and I did the audition, and I got into the chorus. And so being in that choir, you matriculate through their different uh, levels. First is the training choir, which is, of course, where you train to be in the chorus and train vocally. The second choir is a town choir, and then you have the tour choir. And in this choir, you're learning classical singing, the, the tradition of classical singing technique, you know, what blending is like for, for choruses and all that. Um, so it was through that chorus, uh, that voice choir, that I really established my love for classical music. Because in that choir, we were able to do shows with the Houston Symphony uh, and go on tour with them when they Carmina Barana, they did it in Mexico City. Um, and then we did also um, uh, The Damnation of Faust, which is um, one of the things that I, one of the pivotal moments of my life where, where I got to hear Denise Graves singing and she changed my life. So. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that, that part. Now, being a countertenor, how was that received? Um, even though you got your start in the African American church and things like that, but being a countertenor, um, how was that received, perhaps, like when you went off to college and then you came back? Were you always a countertenor? Did you start off as a tenor or a baritone? Talk to me a little bit about that. I always tell people that I I believe I was always a countertenor, and I kind of dabbled in other things. When I was in the boys' <laughs> choir, of course, I was a boy soprano, and then I went from being a boy soprano to a middle, uh, which is like basically a soprano two or an alto one, uh, because my director, Mr. Adams, told me, oh, we need stronger voices in the middle section and voice choir, so that's what I did. Uh, but then when I went to high school, as a freshman, I was a soprano in high school, uh, so I've always wow. been able to sing high. Yeah, I, I've always had that facility, so um, it wasn't something that just came out of the out of nowhere. It was something that I was always able to do. And something that I know that happens for sure, you know, in most, uh, I would say predominantly African-American churches, uh, you'll find men who sing in, in their soprano range, and and they don't specifically know that the voice type is called countertenor. But, I mean, I remember um, uh, Deacon Johnson at my church, he sang male soprano lines in the, in the male quartet. So, I mean, but, of course, they don't know that that's called counter. Of course, they know it now, but back then they, they were probably unaware of it. So it was received well, and I never had anyone from my church, um, you know, be anything other than supportive or encouraging of my artistry from a young age to today. So I have been so, so fortunate in, in that regard. That is a blessing. So you mean to tell me when you were in high school, did you actually stand and sing in the soprano section of the choir? I did. I sang on the third <laughs> row on the end of the row. Uh, uh, and I was a soloist as a freshman. I took some solos as a freshman, which was eventually, I think, one of the reasons why I was moved to be a tenor uh, at, toward the 
uh, I was I, I moved to be a tenor my sophomore, junior, and senior year of, of high school, but I was also a, a high tenor, so the tenors that would take the top notes and all that kind of thing. But yeah, my freshman year, I was a soprano and definitely sang in the soprano section in the third row. Um, so yeah, that was it was quite an uh, a, a time. That is amazing! Oh my goodness! Now, um, before we had our little um, flub in the in the beginning, I was playing your singing of, of Handel's Ombre Mafu, and I wanted to yes. go on and, and ask you to um, discuss some of your most recent operatic um, engagements. I was looking at your bio. You have a, a full schedule coming up. I do. There's a lot of great things that are coming up, and I'm so thankful uh, without ceasing for every opportunity that, that comes my way. Uh, this past season, I was uh, really blessed to to do uh, the title role of Xerxes at the Glimmerglass Opera, so that was just something that was so, so much fun, and um, God, I, I mean, I almost don't even have words to express how special of a moment it was for me to be able to do the role. Then uh, after that, I went to Opera Philadelphia for their 017, I should say their inaugural uh, festival season for 017, uh, where I debuted uh, and premiered the role of John Blue in Daniel Bernard Rumain's We Shall Not Be Moved, uh, which was directed by the incomparable, the legendary Bill T. Jones. Um, and golly, what? Now that, I tell you, that was such a wonderful experience for me working with him. Uh, I was able to do things that I didn't know that I could do uh, because he challenged us all and and pushed us to be our best selves. So that was quite an experience. Uh, then after that, uh, I I had a little break, uh, but then I went on to do some, the Messiah at St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Uh, I have I'm getting ready to now start um, relearning John Blue because we're taking We Should Not Be Moved to the Dutch National Opera in Amsterdam. So I'll leave for Amsterdam in about two weeks time to maybe two weeks time to to do that role there. Um, after that, I will sing the, the lead role or I mean, it's not the title role because it's not called The Refugee, but Jonathan Dove's Flight, the lead role and that opera is The Refugee. And I'll do that this summer at uh, the Moine Metro Opera. And that has been one of the roles I've wanted to do for my whole career. So I, I can't tell you how excited I am to do that. I can cross <laughs> it off my bucket list once we get through with it. <laughs> wow. You have a packed a pack schedule. Congratulations on all these accolades and superlatives. Now, I want to move forward to the topic of our, our main conversation Talk to me about how did you feel when you were named as the 2017 Marion Anderson Award recipient bestowed upon you by the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts? Oh, my. I Even right now, I mean, as you ask that question and you say those words, I kind of get chills all over my body because this, this young kid from Rosenberg, Texas, could have never imagined, never imagined, uh, as Oprah would say, this yellow brick road of blessings that I have uh, been lucky to to walk on. And uh, the day that I found out that I received the award, I was a big puddle of tears. I could not talk. I called my mother. I called my grandmother, my teacher. Uh, I mean, my teachers. I mean, all of them. Um, I mean, my whole family. And it was something that I can I can honestly I mean I have chills right now just thinking about it I can recall 
in previous years, the winners receiving the award and thinking, oh, my gosh, they're so awesome. I hope one day, you know, that I'll be able to join them. Or even thinking at one point, oh, I'll probably never get that award. You know, think being young enough to remember that um, those days. And I thought, oh, well, one day maybe, but mm, who knows. So when I received that award and that, that phone call, uh, golly, I just nearly fell out of my chair because I was in my office doing some work. <laughs> and uh, when it came to, I just kind of was just floored by that. I mean, just, I mean, I, 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 mean, I honestly can't even describe it. It was, it was insane. And then I had to sing a concert that night. So then I had to go from being like this weeping, you know, ball all of, of of a mess and then go to the you know to this concert and try to sing and I was lucky to be able to do it. I don't know how wonderful that performance was that night, but I know how filled um how how my spirit was filled that night. So that was what I remember from that day. I just can't tell you how how blessed I feel to be a recipient. And more than blessed, what an honor, you know, to be named after, to be named the uh, the recipient of this award, named after Marian Anderson, who is one of my sheroes. So I'm really, really honored to to be a recipient. I bet. Well, you know, this is just a, a wonderful time. Now, what I want to do is I want to segue back to our conversation that we kind of um, started about Denise Grace. Tell me about her influence on you and and how did you come to know her artistry and her impact on your career? Well, it was definitely back. Um, it was 1997. I still remember it because, I mean, it's something that's so it's burned into my memory. It will be forever. Uh, we were doing the Fort Bend Boys Choir of Texas and uh, the Houston Boy Choir of Texas were the boys' choirs that were used for the Houston Symphony's uh, production or the concert of the Damnation of uh, the Damnation of the South. Damnation of the South. And um, Denise Graves was Marguerite. I don't remember who any of the other singers were, but I remember that she was Marguerite. And I was one. I was the boy soloist that sang the little line Marguerite. Um, and I just fell in love with her. I, I remember wanting so badly to get that solo so that I could sing with her, you know, even though he doesn't sing with her. I don't, I don't think he does. But just to be on the stage and sing something in her presence so that she could hear my voice. But then after that, I remember being so obsessed with her that I thought to myself, and she was the first African-American person that I had seen or observed sing classically. Um, and so mm-hmm. I fell in love with her in that way. I was obsessed with her artistry, her being, just who she was. And as a young kid, I felt like I can still remember thinking, oh, my God, she's so tall. You know, like just thinking of like she was a giant to me, you know, not not a giant in a bad way, but just like her, her artistry, her being. She was just huge to me and still is to me. Um, and I remember telling uh, one of my friends, I was like, you know, I think I want to do that. Whatever it is that she's doing, I want to do that. And uh, after one of the rehearsals, or maybe it was before, it, it had to have been the day of a show or something, and we were probably doing like a brush-up rehearsal. And we finished the rehearsal, and we walked backstage at Jones Hall in Houston, and she had her dressing room door open. And I was this kid that I was a kind of nervous kid, but I would always, if it was something that I really liked, I would always tell someone that I really appreciated what they did. So I remember walking into her dressing room and saying, oh, my God, I love your shoes. I, I, I don't know why that came out of my, of my mouth. I love your shoes, and can I see your dresses? 
And so she let me into her, her dressing room to see her dresses and her shoes. And at that moment, I don't know if I told her how much I loved her voice or not, but I, it was her voice that I loved. But then I also looked at you. I was like, oh, my God, she's got all these things. Oh, she's rich. I want to be like that. <laughs> I want to be like that. One day. Um, and have all these dresses and shoes and stuff, or, you know, have all these suits and shoes and things like that. But she's really inspired me. I mean, I look at a lot of the interviews that she's done about Leontine Price and, and other uh, um, artists who are African-American, and the way that she feels about them is the way that I feel about her. Uh, uh, she really is the reason that I thought it was ever possible that I could be an, an artist, and I was lucky enough to email her my freshman year of college to say thank you for that and to, you know, tell her, I wonder if you remember me, I'm the little boy that you let into your dressing room at the Houston Symphony to your dresses and your shoes. And she wrote me back and she said that she did. So I'm hopeful that she did. I believe her that she did. Uh, I haven't been able to see her since I was a young child, but she has meant so, so, so much to me. And I I think we are, um, as artists, lucky to have her as an example. Well, you know, she's among, you know, the past recipients, as you know, Denise Graves and Eric Owens and Lois Brownlee and Janiah Brewer mm-hmm. um, and Janiah Bridges of, of this yes. of this prestigious award, and I do hope that that she really um, has, and that she's a very sincere person. So I'm sure she probably has, you know, um, connected and with with your story, and that's just so amazing, John. Congratulations to you. I just want to um, thank you. We did bring our, our interview uh, to a close. I remember I met you, uh, I want to say maybe a year or so ago, a couple years ago, and when I saw you, as, as we had talked earlier, I had you know introduced myself to you because I recognized you because I remember that you were in town for, I want to say it was Opera Lafayette. That's right, Opera Lafayette. That is correct. Yeah, and, yeah, and, um, and so when I, I introduced her, you said, yeah, uh, you know, a, a couple of pounds uh, lighter or, or something to that ilk. Talk to me. Talk to me about sometimes how people receive you as an artist when they see you, as far as uh, having a, a larger physique, and then you lose weight. Have you ever had any complex with it? And, and has it been a good lifestyle change for good or better? I have. Ne- I have to say, I have been really lucky that I have never had an issue with someone saying to me, or at least not directly to me, uh, anything about my weight. Uh, when I chose to lose weight, it was about. It was right after I did my uh, Cesare in uh, Catone in Utica at uh, Glimmer Glass Festival, which I think we did in 2015, and I had some time off within that year, and I thought this is the perfect time to really get to work on my, my weight and my health. And so I started working mm-hmm. out and, and eating better and working with a trainer and all that. And so I did do that. I never have had anybody, fortunately, ever say anything to me about my weight. I think because um, in places that I trained in school, I was as active and physical on stage as, uh, as singers who were half my size, you know, when I was a really, really big guy. Uh, so no one ever said anything to me. Now, I will say that, I mean, after I've lost about 145 pounds over the last two years, and um, mm-hmm. and in doing so, I have noticed how people uh, perceive me. Uh, and, I mean, I 
it's not it's not bad. I mean, I think it's all great. I think that the, the general consensus is that everybody is just happy that I did it. You know, I started losing weight to to uh, be a healthier person, uh, and I have gotten nothing but support and encouragement and and high fives and all that good stuff from from having lost weight. Um, some of the cool things that I like about having having lost the weight is, you know, all the different costumes I get to wear now and, you know, <laughs> having my, uh, I like this and glimmer glasses somewhere I had almost all the way down, you know, my chest was basically all the way open for the audience. I, lo- I love, <laughs> I love stuff like that. Um, so I think it, it's really, really been fun, you know, um, to play, to play upon, you know, the weight loss and, and the physique, you know, that has come with that. So, I I have uh, had nothing but good experiences in both, uh, experiences both ways. Being a larger guy and, and a, a, a smaller, of course, a much smaller guy. I think as a larger guy, and I wouldn't be on the stage with my shirt off or anything like that. But as a skinnier guy, that is definitely what's happening now. Now, um, and I don't know. I, I just feel I feel fantastic. I don't think it's changed my singing in any way, uh, and I feel good. I mean, I don't know how, what else to say about that. I just I feel really good. And I'm happy that I made the decision to get healthy. Well, thank you for just being willing to to tackle a, a subject that might be sensitive to others, but thank you for being so transparent, and I know that probably, I'm sure of it, that it's probably uh, a young uh, artist. So one thing I want to oh, say, yeah. well, man, we're coming to your recital. What are we going to hear when we come to the Terrace Theater on Thursday? What which composers are on oh, special pieces? You want to know, don't you? Um, <laughs> I, I am going to start with uh, some handle. I always do. Uh, and then I'll move on to uh, a French set uh, where we'll hear some Poulenc, some Debussy, some Han, some. Um, what else are we do? Uh, gosh, I have to look at myself. Oh, and that's it. And then some some bonds. Uh, I'm going to do some uh, arrangements of a spiritual. And I'm going to do some work by Theo Morrison. Uh, and then I'm also going to do half of the recital as jazz because I also sing jazz. So I wanted to do that and I wanted to introduce the audience to that side of me. Those who hadn't been able to see some of my jazz shows, I wanted to do uh, some jazz because that, that brings me a lot of joy too. Uh, and I think that people should hear it. So I, I'm looking forward to that. And, and, and mostly I'm looking forward to, to being in a space where I know that the audience has come uh, to support me and encourage me. And, and I hope that when I, I sing uh, in everything that I do on Thursday and the days leading up to it, I hope that everyone can feel the sense of gratitude that I have towards them and toward this art form and toward the Kennedy Center and Washington National Opera for bestowing this prestigious award on me. Um, and as I said, the thing I feel about the Mary Anderson Award is that I hope that in some small way that I'm able to do for the next generation of uh, future artists and teachers what she has been able to do for so many of we um, African-American artists in this industry. Speaking of the next generation, I understand that this recital is also in conjunction with um, a residency at Duke Ellington. Can you talk about uh, that? I understand you're going to be doing a master class? Or? That's it, yeah. I, I, 
tomorrow, in fact, uh, I will be doing a master class at the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. I believe it starts at 3.30. Don't, I mean, I have to check my schedule. Well, I'm really bad about, about stuff like that. But I think it starts at 3.30. Uh, either way, I'm going to be there early. I'm going to be there, I think, at 2.45. Uh, you know, but uh, it's at 3.30, and I'm, I'm excited to get to work with uh, the wonderful student artists who are there uh, because I think it's really important. You know, I know that you are a, a, a Greek man as well as I am. I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, and what I know for sure is that when we we lift, when we climb up, our job is also to lift up, others up. So I think this is an opportunity for me to do that. And, and also, you know, in addition to my career as a singer, I'm also a professor of voice at the Conservatory of Music at Lawrence University. So I'm hoping that if, if we see some really, really talented singers tomorrow, maybe some of them will end up at the Conservatory of Music at Lawrence University. So I'm looking forward to working with these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful artists. And it's another full circle moment because Duke Ellington is also Denise Graves' alma mater. And um, so that's kind of neat how, yeah, so that's kind of neat that you're going to be there in that space and, and, you know, you already have shared your admiration for her. But what I want to do now is just just thank you for this very open and and free-flowing conversation. And I want to just let the the listeners know, uh, just to recap very quickly, um, on Thursday, February 15th at 7.30 p.m., John Holiday Callington will present his, his debut recital at the Kennedy Center in the Terrace Theater as the 2017 Mary Anderson Vocal Award recipient. John, thank you so much for joining us this evening for this conversation. You just give me a brief moment as I will close us out. Again, this, is, this has been Patrick D. McCoy with Across the Arts. Again, we've been chatting with countertenor John Holiday. And we hope that you will go out and, and get your tickets and go to www.kennedy-center.org where you can get tickets for his recital. It's at 7.30 in the Terrace Theater. Again, this is Patrick B. McCoy, and we thank you so much for joining us. John, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Patrick, for having me. It's been fantastic. Oh, you're welcome, and have a good evening. You too.